0: Morning. Anybody want to see me slide onto the stage this morning? Well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Rooftop. Very glad to welcome you here this morning. I want to uh, thank God for bringing you here this morning safely, and especially if you're volunteering here this morning. uh, We're privileged to be able to offer our services no matter what, uh, no matter what the weather brings us. Uh, We're just glad to get together to worship if it's it's safe. And I want to say hi to all our uh, live stream YouTube viewers. Hello. I I have to get used to them not being able to respond to me. Um, And also, uh, uh, I am really excited about the 40 days of Lent plan. Uh, I've got my own little uh, Sunday morning or morning Bible routine, but but I'm uh, making an exception for this great great Lenten opportunity, so I hope you you take a look at that. All right, so Elmer Gantry is a uh, book written by novelist Sinclair Lewis in 1927. It was made into a movie in 1960 starring Burt Lancaster. Uh, It's a story of a tough luck salesman named Elmer Gantry who uses his charm and his charisma to join a traveling... Uh, revival featuring an evangelist named Sister Sharon Falconer. Now, Sister Sharon is the real deal. She is good and pure and righteous and sincere and holy. Reverend Gantry is a rotten scoundrel. He is loud and angry and corrupt. He drinks and smokes and beds women, including, as it turns out, Sister Sharon. And then he condemns to hell people who do the same all the while lining his pockets with the offerings. Lewis actually wrote the book to expose the revival circuit, which featured plenty of Elmer Gantries traveling around the country back then. Back in the 1920s, there were lots of religious hucksters about selling the old-time religion for profit. Now, there have always been religious hucksters like this, people who, who take the message of Christianity, twist it to suit their own selfish designs. We see these types of Elmer Gantries on TV a lot. Maybe you recognize some of those faces. But we even find them in the Bible. Almost as soon as Jesus ascended up into heaven, people came along and tweaked his message so that they could earn a buck. And in so doing, they did terrible damage to the Christian church and led astray countless people who didn't know any better. And it's why both the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself warns us so strongly about the Elmer Gantries out and about in the world, who are not to be trusted, not to be followed, and honestly, not even to be listened to. We find such a warning, such a dire warning, in the book of Romans. We've been studying the book of Romans here at Rooftop, as you might know. Uh, over the past year and a half or so we are sort of winding down we've got like three more weeks in romans and we're in a final series called the continuing mission which is all about the last chapter of romans and paul's ongoing plans to take the gospel to the ends of the earth for those of you who don't know romans is a very important book in the new testament written by a guy named paul paul was a first century christian missionary he uh, was an eyewitness of the risen christ he he uh traveled around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel. He really wanted, his ultimate destination was to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, which they understood at the time to be Spain, right. And on his way to Spain, he wanted to stop over in Rome for a little rest and refreshment. So he writes a letter to the Christian church in Rome saying, hey, I'm coming through, you know, set out a a sleeping mat for me. And while I'm there, I want to be able to talk to you about the gospel. So he, he spends... A long time in Rome and summarizing the message of Christianity that he wants to discuss with them upon his arrival. The message that uh, a loving God can save condemned sinners like us through faith in Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's the message of the gospel as Paul describes it in Rome. And that's the message that had so transformed Paul's life that he wanted to take it to the ends of the earth so that everybody could, could hear it. But Paul also knew that that message, that message of the gospel was so sacred... So life-changing that the devil would oppose it at every opportunity. He knew that that was a reality that he and the rest of the Christians in the first century were going to face. The devil was going to oppose the message at every opportunity. So he had to warn his churches, especially the church in Rome, to be be vigilant about people who would take the message and tweak it to suit their own selfish design. So with that introduction, let me go ahead and share with you the passage that we're going to study together this morning in which Paul warns us about people who would lead us astray from the message that saves. So it's Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 19. I urge you, brothers, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now, like I said, in this final chapter of Romans, Paul's kind of winding the letter down. He's, it's, you might call it a, a business chapter. He, in chapter 16, he says hello to some people. He kind of announces his travel plans. Uh, it just kind of takes care of some, some business. But, but this little section here, these few verse, verses that I just read to you, these are not... This is not just personal business. This is an urgent plea from Paul to the the Christians in Rome to hold fast to the message of the gospel that Paul preached to them and that has saved them from hell. You see, Paul has just spent 15 chapters um, painstakingly summarizing the message of Christianity that can save us from our sins. And again, what's that message? Because all good things bear repeating, that message is that. A loving God can save, condemn sinners like us through faith in Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the message that Paul has spent 15 chapters painstakingly summarizing uh, for us and, and the implications of it in our life. And that message is so sacred, that message is so life-changing that it needs to be protected. It needs to be guarded from people who would get it wrong and from people who use that message to sow dissent in their churches for their own gain. Now, question, who would do such a thing? Who would manipulate the message of Christianity, the life-saving message of Christianity, to suit their own selfish purposes? Who would do such a thing? Lots of people. Plenty of people would. In Paul's day, there had already risen plenty of preachers and pastors who taught things contrary to the gospel for their own profit. Some people just frankly, made money off the gospel. They preached the gospel and lived off the offerings. Some of them like, preached versions of the gospel to kind of split churches and build their own little little congregation and their own reputation. We actually don't know like, specifically what false teachers Paul is describing here, but it doesn't really matter because he clearly sees them as a threat. And it's why he warns his readers in such dire terms, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the gospel you have learned. Guarding his flocks against people who would manipulate the gospel was actually a a very important priority for Paul. It was a constant concern of his. In practically every letter he writes, and there's lots of letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, in practically every letter he writes, he's like reminding people, hey, be careful of people who would steer you away from the gospel. Like uh, to his student Timothy, or Titus rather. Titus is another letter in the New Testament. Titus is sort of a pastoral intern of Paul's, uh, pastoring a church on the island of Crete. And Paul instructs Titus in his letter. He says, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, mere deceivers. They must be silenced, because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. In the book of Philippians... Uh, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and there's a group of false teachers in Philippi who are telling the, the Christians in Philippi that they, in, in order to be saved, they can't just have faith in Jesus Christ. They also have to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Faith in Jesus Christ is all that God expects. So he writes to the church in Philippi. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, Paul, in this sense, is just following the lead of Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself gives some very stern warnings uh, about prophets who come along preaching messages that cannot save people from sin. As, Ma- as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. And now, to be honest, Paul and Jesus... Sound a bit defensive here, at least to my modern taste. In our day and age, we're trained to be so polite and respectful, right? At least most of us, some of us. We're trained to give people a chance to speak, if they have a different perspective, to share. Everybody deserves a fair hearing, right? And there's no need to call anybody names like wolves or dogs. No need for that, you know. No need for ad hominem attacks. It doesn't sound like Paul and Jesus care that much about the rules of pleasant 21st century discourse, though. Watch out, they say. Silence them, Paul says. Shut them up. They are dogs, says Paul. Wolves, says Jesus. Again, why so defensive? Well, because the gospel message is precious. Precious. The message of God's salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is a jewel. It must be guarded. And also because there really are evil people about, eager to lead people away from God's salvation for their own selfish benefit. These these wolves and these dogs, they're not interested in healthy debate. They're there for their own appetite. They don't need to be listened to. They need to be muzzled. Paul says they're actually tools of the devil, that dog himself who works very hard to lead us away from Jesus. It's not like the devil sort of gives up. Oh, well, nah. I'm gonna let that one go. No, he works very hard to lead people away from Christ. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Paul was very passionate about this. I mean, the Christians in Rome... They were his spiritual children. They were, they were going to heaven because of what Jesus had done. Paul loved them too much to be silent when false preachers meandered into their churches and started teaching them things that were not going to save their souls. I mean, he's not some remote, distant pastor here. He, he is their spiritual mama bear. I mean, imagine if you were at a, at, at a park and your children were playing on the equipment and some strange, funny-looking guy came up to your kids and, and started making them feel uncomfortable and, and even started like leading them away into the woods. How would you react? Hey, Timmy, give the man a chance. Hear him out. Show him some respect. No. You would scream like a madman, scare them away, and instruct your children in no uncertain terms. Do not let a strange-looking man like that approach you ever again. That's where Paul's coming from here. He loves the people in his churches too much to not warn them of the danger to their souls. This is very important for us to understand. Why? Because many of us have grown too nice to be careful. Many of us have become too tolerant of theological error in the name of healthy debate. Now, don't get me wrong here. Paul has spent a lot of time in Romans helping Christians of different theological stripes learn how to get along. I mean, that's that was his main point in Romans 14 and 15, uh, that just because, you know, we have different preferences for worship style, or, or different politics, you know, or, or slightly different versions of, of, of Christianity, doesn't mean we can't, like, get along. Paul clearly thinks that we need to be able to get along, but that's not what, what Paul is dealing with here. He's not talking about Christians who need to learn to get along despite their differences. He's warning Christians. He's warning Christians. People like us about false, profit seeking, manipulative, evil preachers causing division and preaching false versions of Christianity for personal gain. Those types shouldn't be tolerated. They should be exposed and avoided. There's just too much at stake. And there are plenty of selfishly motivated false teachers about. There is always an Elmer Gantry on television. Last month, for example, 2020, uh, did a documentary on Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the the founders of the PTL Network back in the 80s. You young millennials probably do not remember this. You weren't even born. But these were some interesting days for those of us who remember them. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker do their prodigious fundraising abilities, their their, uh, uh, likable charisma. They actually built a media empire with themselves at the center, It all came crashing down when they were imprisoned for uh, mail fraud. But into their place stepped a dozen others who picked up right where they left off. We see them on the news, in our churches. We see them in bookstores, hucking their wares. Paul's urgent plea is to watch out for these dogs, these wolves, who would divide our churches and lead us astray with their teaching. Here's a question, though. How do we know who they are? How can we know when we're caught under the spell of Elmer Gantry? Like I said, they're very good at doing what they do. They're very good at pretending to be something they're not. As Paul has said, even the, com- the, the, the devil comes as an angel of light. How do we know if we're caught under Elmer Gantry's spell? For that matter, how can you know... How, how can you know that even I am not some Elmer Gantry selling you the gospel for his own motives, his own selfish motives? How would you know that? I mean, some of you might be wondering, who is this guy? On top of that, this is getting complicated, but how would even I know if I'm authentically preaching the gospel? How do I know that I am not deceived as a pastor? None of these false prophets, at least I don't think so, but none of these propo- false prophets probably started out intending to be servants of Satan. They were slowly deceived. How do you know and how do I know that I haven't been such, so deceived? How do we know if someone's leading us astray? How do we protect ourselves against them? This is an important question because our souls can be at stake. The message of Christianity, the message of the Christian gospel is salvation for the sinner. And when preachers get that message wrong, it doesn't save. It's one of the reasons why the Bible says that preachers and teachers will be held to a higher standard because they have the souls of people in their hands. So again, how can we protect ourselves from people who would lead us from God? I have a few thoughts to share with you about that question this morning. Actually, I have four of them. I'm going to call them the ABCDs of protecting yourself from Elmer Gantries of any kind. They're ABCD because they each start with ABCD. This will make them very easy for you to remember. Like you're really going to remember them. <laughs> so, the ABCDs of protecting yourself from Gantries of any kind. First, acquire a robust understanding of the gospel. Acquire a robust understanding of the gospel. Uh, the best defense is a good offense, as they say. In order to protect yourself from people who would lead you away from the gospel, learn the message of Christianity so well that you know when you're not hearing the real thing. Or things, as Paul says, contrary to the teaching you've learned. False teachers love preying on people who don't know too much. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people, Paul warns. People who don't know the gospel are more susceptible to other versions of the gospel. I do not share this in a mean-spirited way, but it's a, it's a statistical fact that certain Christian cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, spread faster among people who are less educated. They just don't know any better. The best way to guard yourself against theological and spiritual lies is to become an expert in the real thing. The best way to identify a counterfeit bill is to learn what a real one looks like. Do you know there are ways to identify, like, genuine currency? Have you ever looked at a $20 bill? The, the U.S. Treasury works really hard to make sure there's ways to identify uh, easily what a Genuine $20 bill looks like there's there's ways to do this. There's the magnetic strip in there. There's different coloration There's different text there. My favorite way of identifying a real $20 bill is actually the watermark You know about the watermark in the $20 bill Like nobody has heard about the watermark There's if you hold a $20 bill up to the light You can actually see a little watermark a hidden picture of Andrew Jackson's face like right there on the bottom right hand corner If you hold it up the light you can tell ah real $20 bill This is now, I do look like a prosperity gospel preacher holding up money. (laughs) This can be yours. God wants to bless you. Give us 20, he'll give you 200. Um, anyway, watermark, right? (laughs) Christianity has its watermarks, Christianity has its marks of authenticity, things which identify. The Christian gospel is the authentic Christian gospel. Now, what are our watermarks? What are our marks of authenticity? There's, there's lots, actually. The Trinity is one. False Christianities tend to deny the Trinity one way or another. Grace is a watermark. False Christianities tend to deny grace one way or another. You know, it's just not enough to kind of just have faith in the grace of God. You also have to do this and this and this. But in my mind, the thing that usually, not always, but usually identifies the true gospel of Christ, the watermark that we need to look for is the servanthood and the suffering of Christ. As God's people, we are called to serve others and suffer for the gospel, following the example of Jesus. If you can believe this, a lot of false preachers sort of ignore this aspect of Jesus' ministry, that we must serve and suffer as Jesus did. Why? obvious reasons. They're not going to make any money off of it. No one wants to hear that message, that I must serve and suffer as Christ did. But any genuine preaching of the gospel will and should include a call to serve and suffer well for Jesus. That's our watermark. If if you don't see that watermark when you hold somebody's teaching up to the light, if you don't see the watermark of service and suffering and and the Trinity and grace, you're probably being led astray by someone who's been led astray. If you want to protect yourself, protect the gospel inside you, acquire a robust understanding of the gospel. Secondly, be, be suspicious of people who tell you what you want to hear. Be suspicious of people who tell you what you want to hear. A lot of Elmer Gantries in the church gain their followings not by telling people what they need to hear, but by telling people what they want to hear. Paul warns his student Timothy of this exact thing. He says, The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. Now, don't get me wrong, the message of Jesus is good news that we want to hear. I want to hear the message of Christ all day long. Uh, the message that God saves sinners through through faith, but the gospel also contains news that I might not be too excited to hear, frankly. News about uh, uh, a sin and and truth and, and holiness. I mean, we've all heard those sermons, right? Those sermons where the preacher said something we just didn't like, we just offended by, we just disagreed with. And let's be honest, what was our temptation? Well. I think it's time for me to find a new church with a new preacher who says things that I agree with, says things I already believe. It's real easy to leave one church and find someone who tells us things we want to believe, things like God wants you to be rich, that we don't need to suffer here on earth, that there is no hell, That everybody goes to heaven, no matter what they believe. That racism isn't that big of a problem. We took care of that. That America is God's chosen nation. That there's no such thing as sin. That marriage and sexuality can be whatever you want it to be. That's what we want to hear these days. Honestly, that's what I want to hear these days. It would be easier to preach... We'd have more people coming, but it's just not the gospel. The gospel is good news to sinners like us, but it's got some tough news that we need to listen carefully to no matter how it makes us feel. We need to recognize our tendency to find preachers who tell us everything we already believe. This is bad news for us because when we just surround ourselves with preachers who tell us what we want to hear, we're creating an echo chamber for ourselves where we're never really challenged. I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in understanding the other side of something as well or better Then you do your own side. I think this is true in politics, too. I mean, you diehard conservatives need to spend more time uh, watching MSNBC to get the other side. You liberals need to spend more time watching Fox News. You'll be smarter and better for it. But far more importantly, that's not my point this morning, far more importantly, we need to be comfortable listening to preachers who tell us things we disagree with and things we don't like to hear. Our faith will be more solid for it. Because otherwise, it's too easy to stop thinking critically. If you want to protect yourself from the Elmer Gantry's about, be careful of preachers who tell you what you want to hear. Find someone who at least occasionally doesn't. Thirdly, consider their lifestyles and motives. Consider their lifestyles and motives. Paul is clear here that the false preachers the Romans need to worry about have very selfish motives, as he puts it. He says, such people are not serving our Lord Christ. They are serving their own appetites. There are plenty of people out there who become pastors and leaders and evangelists to make a buck. Uh, Or if they're not getting rich, uh, they're at least getting a shot of notoriety or esteem from their pastoral success. That's that's their, their appetite. Even I... I am constantly testing my motives for why I am a pastor. Am I a pastor on any given day? Am I a pastor because I feel called by God to serve in this role? Or, this is the other side. That's why I moved to the other side. Am I a pastor because it's a fairly good gig? I'm fairly compensated? And on good Sundays, people walk away thinking more highly of me. Why am I a pastor? I'm constantly weighing my motives. Now, as far as you're concerned, though, how would you test a preacher's motives? I mean, it's hard enough for me to understand my motives. How would you test my motives? Well, that's tricky, because we can't really see into anybody's mind or heart. But we can observe their lifestyle. We can observe if they're walking the walk or just, like Elmer Gantry, talking the talk. Now, it's important to remember here that every preacher is a sinner, I, for the record, am a rather impressive one. <laughs> Every preacher is a sinner. We're not perfect. Even, even I am going to fail the compared to Jesus test. But there's a difference between preachers who are humbly growing in Christ-likeness and, and those who just aren't, let alone aren't even trying. Recently, for example, a very well-known pastor in Chicago, maybe you've seen this on the Christian wire. A very well-known pastor in Chicago with several churches here in St. Louis, he was fired after his um, megachurch realized that at least according to the evidence, which is available on the internet and frankly hard to dispute, according to the evidence, he just wasn't a very good Christian. He ran his organization into massive debt. He lived in a mansion. He led through fear and intimidation. He made unsubstantiated allegations against other people. He uh, threatened revenge against people who disagreed with him. I say this humbly because I'm a sinner too, uh, but that pastor needs to retire for good and repent before God before it's too late. And his church members, maybe even more importantly, his church members and elder board need to ask themselves why they allowed themselves to be so misled for so long by someone who so clearly was living contrary to the example of Christ. I mean, a commitment to holiness and character and humility is the confirming mark of gospel preachers. That's our watermark, a commitment to holiness and character and humility. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Paul's very simple but very important point here is that when Paul was in the city of Thessalonica preaching the gospel, it wasn't just the message he was preaching, but it was the life he was living. He didn't just tell them what to believe, but he showed it to them. It's why your pastors and your elders and your deacons here at Rooftop work really hard to hold each other accountable to, as people called by God, to live holy lives. I mean, if we are not earnestly, if we as your leaders are not earnestly trying to model Christ for you, you should leave Rooftop immediately and find a different church. But we are, so stay. (laughs) And tell your friends. We can protect ourselves from Elmer Gantry's about by considering their motives and lifestyles. I mean, if, if their lifestyle raises your eyebrow, you can imagine that it raises God's. And lastly, we can defend ourselves with healthy boundaries. Defend ourselves with healthy boundaries. I've already noted how defensive and even rude Paul seems in his warning to the Romans. I mean, regarding these prof- false prophets, he says, keep away from them. Like I said, that seems a little rude. Stay away. Didn't Jesus spend time with sinners? And here Paul's saying, I'd spend no time with these sinners. But again, Paul isn't talking about reaching out to people in need of the gospel. He's talking about people manipulating uh, us away from grace. Those people mean us no good, and we can do nothing for them. I'm reminded of uh, the financial meltdown in 2008, 2009. I am not an expert on these things, so take this with a huge grain of salt. But to my understanding... The meltdown was at least in part caused by predatory banks selling expensive mortgages to vulnerable people who didn't know any better. They defaulted on their loans, they got kicked out of their houses, and the bankers who sold them these loans crashed the economy, got off scot-free. Those lenders who showed up to people's doorsteps selling them expensive mortgages, they, they didn't need to be entertained. They didn't need to be, like, served lemonade. They need to be sent along. The lesson here is that we need to be careful who we let into our homes, who we let into our lives. We are more vulnerable than we think we are, and the devil is more persuasive than we wanna believe. We need to keep our guard up, sometimes even our distance. I remember a, a church service, not here, at another service that I witnessed, uh, where there was a guest speaker who had started teaching things contrary to Orthodox Christianity, contrary to like, basic Christian teaching, He wasn't rude or anything, he was just kind of a little bit off. And one of the members in attendance at that church, upon hearing the sermon, he actually stood up and walked out in the middle of the sermon. He even made a little bit of a scene. And I remember thinking about, at the time, when I saw that, I remember thinking, well, that's kind of unnecessary. I mean, the least you can do is hear him out before, you know, shoving off. I mean no matter how offended you might be, we, we gain nothing if we can't listen to other people that we disagree with, and I, I actually really think that. At the same time, I, al- I also remember thinking, well, at least he knows his boundaries. At least he's standing up for his understanding of the gospel and he's not given the devil any sort of foothold to lead him away from Jesus. I mean, if walking out on an errant preacher uh, is what our souls need to protect the gospel in our lives, then run for the exits. The gospel inside of us is that sacred. Years ago, for example, a couple of what I would understand as evangelists from a Christian cult showed up at my door. Uh, They asked me if I was a Christian. I said, yeah, I am. They asked me if I had a Bible. I said, oh boy, (laughs) do I have a Bible? (laughs) Probably got more than you, but you know, that doesn't need to be said. Then they asked me if I uh, wanted to hear the true gospel the true gospel the true revelation that God had given us they asked me if I wanted a a, a better more updated version of the Bible now you know me I'm always up for debate I pride myself on being open minded I really don't like to be rude but I know what kind of Christian I am I know what I believe Plus, I am not embarrassed to tell you this, I was in the middle of a really interesting movie. <laughs> so I said, no thanks. I shut the door. It might have even made a little slamming sound. I actually still feel bad about that. I can see their faces, like, ah! And I really like, don't like disappointing people. But I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to fill my home. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to fill my mind, my heart. I want my family to hear that gospel. I have my boundaries. We all should. We who are Christians should be careful about what we fill our homes, lives, and hearts with. I don't fill my life with pornography. Why would I fill it with heresy? Just for the sake of debate and intellectual curiosity? There is a time and a place, but caution is always required. There are Elmer gantries about, plotting ways to lead us away from the true message of Christ. We are more vulnerable than we think, and the devil is more conniving than we want to believe. The message of the gospel is a message worth protecting with every ounce of strength we have. If protecting the gospel in our lives means shutting doors on visitors, standing eagerly, friendly-like, on your front porch, then slam that door shut. Jesus came to earth to save you from your sins and lead you into heaven by way of his holiness and suffering. If you believe that, guard it, defend it. The devil wants to lead you from it. Opening your life to Jesus Christ means shutting the doors to anything that can't save you because only Jesus saves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message that you have shared with us that you save, condemn sinners like us through faith in Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. On this snowy, icy morning, I'm reminded of what a great distance you came to share that message with us. You braved roads covered with snow and ice to make your way from heaven to earth so that we could hear the message it saves. And I pray that we can protect it by understanding that gospel message, recognizing the way that there are people about, dogs, wolves, who would want to lead us from it, give us discernment, wisdom, As Paul says, help us be innocent of evil. Committed to the good. Recognizing that Christianity isn't some intellectual exercise. It is a war for our souls. And there's an enemy who teaches us things that we want to hear to lead us astray. That the gospel can make us rich. That the gospel can make our lives easy. That the gospel has no, nothing to say about sin, the sin in our lives. That's not the gospel. We thank you for preaching the gospel to us. I pray for anybody here this morning uh, who has not yet come to a point in their life where they understand and have accepted the gospel, continue to, to break open their heart. They can understand how sinful they are before a holy God, but how much you love them and how unwilling you were to give up on them. The devil wants to lead us away, but... To an infinite degree, you love us more, and want to lead us all the way to heaven. Thank you for this time together we have this morning. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power.